There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. On this episode of Revealing the True Light, we're going to continue a study on establishing worldview through the Lord's Prayer. This is part two. In the previous episode, we covered five major points of comparison contrast between biblical doctrine and some other religions in establishing the uniqueness of Christianity through the words and phrases of this wonderful and beloved prayer. We studied, number one, the word our, number two, the word father, number three, the phrase in heaven, number four, hallowed be your name, and number five, your kingdom come. Now, in this episode, we're going to continue with the next seven points found in the Lord's Prayer that, once again, establish a biblical worldview. I know you've probably prayed this prayer many times if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, and it's a much beloved approach to God. But very few people see it as a means of apologetically presenting the biblical worldview as contrasted to others. Now, before I proceed, I want to first cover the two ways Jesus told us not to pray right before he gave what has been called the Lord's Prayer. He said, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues. Listen, just because people love to pray doesn't mean they're doing it right. And he said, the hypocrites love to pray on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. And then he told us to pray to our Father in secret who will reward us openly. Then in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, he said, When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Uh, An obvious reference to mantra yoga, or the chanting of mantras as is found in several different religions. If, If God was an impersonal life force, the chanting of a mantra in order to channel that quote-unquote energy or to manipulate that power might make sense. But God is not an impersonal life force. He's not a cosmic energy. He is a personal God that you approach in a personal conversational way. And my opinion is that the chanting of a mantra is an insult to the intelligence of God. Uh, If you were to approach a fellow human being that way, repeating the same thing over and over again in a monotone voice, that person would quickly exit from the conversation. And I don't believe it impresses God either. And so you and I need to approach him in a heartfelt way in a personal conversational way. Now let's go into the statement, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now I'm just gonna take a few religions for each one of these statements. In Buddhism and in Jainism, there is no concept of a supreme being to whom we are accountable. So this phrase would never be prayed. 
In Islam, the emphasis is doing God's will. In fact, the word Islam means submission. However, even though that similarity is present, the will of God as proposed in the Quran is quite different than the will of God as revealed in the Bible. In fact, the Quran condemns many of the things we believe to be the will of God with regard to salvation, with regard to our relationship with him. And so those two are not in agreement. I'd like to compare this statement, your will be done, to a popular New Age video and book called The Secret. And also that contains something called The Law of Attraction. Now, in The Secret, Rhonda Burns, the author, proposed that we are God. And uh, because of her belief in our divine essence that human beings are God, therefore, if you dominate your thinking processes with a positive flow of confessions concerning a certain thing that you want or desire in life, then you can force the universe to grant you what you wish. In fact, God in that worldview is really subservient to human beings because God is a mere power that is controlled by our thoughts or by our words. In fact, God is represented as a genie, the great genie. Well, a genie is trapped inside of a bottle and is totally controlled by whoever possesses that bottle. And so it doesn't speak about God's will being done in our lives but our will being done by God. It's actually the exact opposite of the true point of view. In fact, uh, a lot of people don't know that the law of attraction and the secret were channeled through a woman named Esther Hicks, who claimed to bring messages by a multi-personality entity named Abraham. She was demon-possessed, channeling is outlawed by God in Deuteronomy 18. And so this is not something that could ever be accepted in a biblical worldview. No Christian should be reading the secret. No Christian should be believing in the law of attraction. Now, uh, let's go to the next statement. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, This speaks of a separation between heaven and earth. This speaks of a separation within us from God prior to salvation. And by saying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it is a request that God come and reside within our hearts, that we submit to his will, that we become one by one, person by person, the means by which heaven's will can be done on earth. However, many New Agers use this phrase and change it somewhat to mean not a request so much that God would come into us, but an affirmation that God is already within us and that there is a monistic oneness in all things, that everything is an expression of God. That's a belief in pantheism, the idea that all is God and all is one. And so uh, they have changed it many times in New Age philosophy to the statement, as above, so below, as within, so without. Let me say that again, as above, so below, 
and as within, so without. That's a popular New Age statement that uh, confesses the oneness of heaven and earth, that there is a fundamental divine essence within everyone and everything. That's what concerns me about this modern translation called the Message Bible, because Eugene Patterson uses that New Age phrase in the Lord's Prayer, where most translations read, on earth as it is in heaven, Peterson inserts the occult New Age phrase, as above, so below, in the Lord's Prayer. And the significance of this mystical occult saying is seen uh, when you go to New Age literature. For instance, in a book called As Above, So Below, which was published in 1992 by the editors of the New Age Journal, the chief editor, Ronald S. Miller, describes how the occult magical saying, As Above, So Below, conveys the fundamental truth about the universe, the teaching that we are all one. And because God is imminent or within everyone and everything, Miller writes, the maxim implies that the transcendent God beyond the physical universe and the imminent God within ourselves are one. Heaven and earth, spirit and matter, the invisible and visible worlds form a unity to which we are intimately linked. So, this idea on earth as it is in heaven can be distorted completely by someone of a new age mindset. So I, I urge people not to read the message. It's not even a good paraphrase. It's a distortion of the meaning of the Bible. Let's go to number eight. Give us this day our daily bread. Now in Buddhism and Jainism, there is no supreme being to appeal to to meet your needs on such a fundamental level. And in Hinduism, ultimate reality is Brahman, an impersonal life force, not a God you appeal to in prayer, not a God that even responds in prayer. Brahman is something you meditate on in order to awaken your own divinity, but not a personal God who responds to a personal request like this. In fact, some of the gurus I studied under when I was involved in Eastern religions and yoga 50 years ago advised us not to pray to God because that was a failure to see that we are God. And yet right here, Jesus, who was supposedly just an avatar like many other incarnations of God, he exhorted us to make personal petitions to God. If he was really just an avatar, he never would have counseled us to pray this way. He would have said, just confess that you will have your own daily bread because you are God on earth and your words will cause the universe to respond to you when you have this positive thought pattern. That's what Jesus would have said if he was just an avatar as some New Agers feel. But he told us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, another worldview is deism. Deism is the belief in the existence of a supreme being, a creator, who does not intervene in the universe. And this was a term chiefly used during the intellectual movement of the 17th and 18th centuries. They accepted the existence of a creator on the basis of reason, but for the most part, they rejected a belief in a supernatural deity who interacts with mankind. 
And so in deism, God would never be personally involved in the lives of human beings to the point where he could help you acquire your daily bread. I think it's also important to see that Jesus was talking about the Father's care for us. And he said, look at the sparrows. They don't sow, they don't reap, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. However, God doesn't come down and hold out his hand to sparrows so that they can eat seeds out of his hands. Well, how does he feed them? He puts them in an environment where food is available, and then he puts instinct in them about how to acquire that food. He gives them what is necessary for that food to be acquired. And in like manner, God's not going to just put food on your table ordinarily, but he is going to put you in an environment, in a world where food can be cultivated and give you the instinct about how to do that and to go about your life in whatever job capacity you feel or whatever environment or whatever, he will give you the capacity of doing that. Let's go to the next one. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, ultimate reality in Hinduism, as I've already stated, is an impersonal force, not a personal God to whom you are accountable or from whom you must receive forgiveness. No, the whole idea in Hinduism is that every negative misdeed in your life reaps a, a karmic result. So the whole key to salvation is not getting forgiveness from God, but rather somehow compensating for all your negative karma uh, through the reaping of the consequences of that negative karma and then sowing enough positive karma where you are finally released from the cycle of rebirths. But there's no concept of of being forgiven by a supreme deity. And that's also the way it is in many New Age circles. For instance, A Course in Miracles is a book that is very popular among New Agers. It was written by Helen Schuchman, and she taught that forgiveness does not come from God, that God uh, doesn't forgive anyone because he doesn't judge anyone. She said forgiveness is primarily for God and toward other human beings. In other words, it's an act of worshipful love toward the Creator to participate in the atonement by forgiving other people. In fact, she taught that the second coming of Christ is happening when we exhibit forgiveness toward others, but that it's absolutely unnecessary to ask for forgiveness from God. In fact, she taught that salvation comes not by being forgiven by God, because she said you are not saved from anything. She said yourself does not need salvation, but you need to confess. Now, these are the words of Helen Schuchman in The Course of Miracles. She said, my salvation comes from me. It cannot come from anywhere else. Within me is the world's salvation and my own. And so she taught we've got to forgive others, forgive ourselves, 
and in doing so, we continue the work of the Lord Jesus on earth. She claimed to get these ideas channeled to her as a scribe of the Lord Jesus, but the Christ she was in communication with was not the Jesus Christ of the Bible, but a spirit that impersonated the Lord Jesus Christ and gave her false occultic information. Now let's go to number 10, lead us not into temptation. Now recently, the Pope got a lot of press because he changed that. And yet I understand why he changed it, because it sounds like God is the one who leads us into temptation. And he recently changed it to the phrase, do not allow us to fall into temptation, uh, which is more along the lines of what Jesus intended. I, I don't believe he ever implied that the Father would actually lead us into a trap where we're tempted. But uh, he was saying that we should pray that God would prevent that from happening, that we would not be snared by the enemy. And uh, and I would uh, I would say that God does that because the Bible says the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of the traps of the enemy uh, and and the weakness of our own flesh. He provides divine inspiration and he divides divinely inspired promises in the Bible that set us free from temptation. Now, what about the statement, but deliver us from the evil one? Now, that establishes the concept of evil and the concept of the devil as found in Christianity. Some religions do not acknowledge the devil or his demonic underlings. For instance, in the United Church of Religious Science, and this is very important, in that particular worldview, Ernest Holmes, the founder of the United Church of Religious Science, which is a new thought church, he said that the only devil we shall ever know will be that which appears as the result of our negative thinking. It is anything which denies the unity of good, the allness of truth, or our oneness with spirit. And he said that evil spirits or demons are reduced to discordant and chaotic thought patterns consciously retained, which tend to influence the conscious faculties negatively. So demons are just the negative thoughts of our own minds. That is according to the teachings of the United Church of Religious Science. And so you can see how the Lord's Prayer really establishes the correct point of view. And the final statement, number 12, is for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. In the new age, it's self-exaltation. In fact, many New Agers I met, many yoga advocates I met 50 years ago when I was running a yoga ashram and teaching yoga at four universities would often dare to say, I am that I am as a proclamation of their own divinity. And yet they have hijacked a phrase that only God has the right to state. I am that I am denoting an eternal existence and denoting his supremeness as the creator of the universe. We have absolutely no right to make that statement. Now, I have shared with you as many of the points that I believe that would help you to continue this study on your own. We can't do a thorough study in a short podcast like this, 
but I can at least get you on the journey of taking the Lord's Prayer word by word, line by line, and juxtaposing it next to the doctrines of Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam and Jainism and Sikhism and Taoism and all the other worldviews that differ so much from the approach that Jesus made. Don't tell me we can blend them all together. Only Christianity, only biblical doctrine will take you to the place that you seek to go to, and that is a relationship with the true and the living God forever and ever. God bless you. I look forward to our next session together. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.